Welcome to A Feminist in Progress, the podcast that's caught in a bad romance. Well, a, a bad romance novel. <laughs> Hi, this is Price, your host, and welcome to a bonus episode of the podcast. It's been a while since I made one of the so-called bonus episodes. And you're listening to one right now because this is my way of rehearsing or preparing for an upcoming talk well upcoming in the sense that the talk that i'll be giving is the day after i record this podcast this is my way of kind of just practicing or calming myself down just in case i do end up rambling when i deliver my actual talk so this is a bonus episode called Caught in a Bad Romance. What the Tagalog romance kung iibigin ka muli tells women. So this paper was originally written for my cultural criticism class when I was in the MA Language and Literature program at the University of the Philippines, Baguio. Among our topics in that class was popular fiction. From the point of view of high culture, the romance novel is a genre worthy of ridicule. The typical romance novel, it is said, is stereotyped writing, cheap fantasy, even escapism. And with the rise of popular culture studies, you know, however, the romance novel may even be said to have been rescued from such negative criticism and even validated. In a frequently cited commentary on the form, Dave Pollard even argues that, quote, romances are in fact subversive literature. They encourage women to be dissatisfied with inequality and to set higher expectations for themselves. And they show them ways to achieve those expectations, largely by taming men and, in a way, usurping their power. Similar views may be seen in the works of those who have submitted the romance novel to some form of re-evaluation, using approaches drawn from the theoretical frameworks of cultural studies. My professor actually wanted the class to interrogate this contemporary reassessment of the romance novel by looking at a Filipino romance novel or a Tagalog romance novel called Kung Iibigin Kang Muli, the the author of which is not indicated. It was a random choice of his. Not really going to go into why he chose it. That's not. I think that's beyond my topic. Anyway. He asked us to analyze this work, and assuming that this is typical of the Filipino variety of the form, discuss if it validates the positive values that have been ascribed to the romance novel. And this paper, well, the paper that I wrote, tries to do just those. Now, I wrote this nearly 10 years ago, and while most of my assertions in the paper still stand, my journey as a feminist in progress has provided space for enriching my knowledge and perception of what the Tagalog romance, Kung Iibigin Kamuli, tells women. 
Also, while working on this presentation or while working on, yeah, updating the paper in a way, I was also reading the work of the late feminist writer and cultural critic Bell Hooks, specifically her book All About Love, New Visions. Hooks's insights, I found, are actually relevant to what I wrote 10 years ago. They help sort of frame or explain some of the ideas of the impressions that I had when it when I read the book back then. And okay, honestly, I didn't reread it for this presentation. But when I was looking at the original paper, there are some ideas that I presented back then, which can actually be supported or help be expounded by Bell Hooks's books and her ideas in All About Love. Romance novels, as I mentioned earlier, they're often stereotyped as poorly written literature that promotes cheap fantasy and escapism. Now, the message that they often convey to women is that you know, if, if women wait long enough, you know, some, some prince charming who is probably out of their league, you know, who's all dark and handsome, rich beyond imagination, really handsome and a man, as you can see, well, as you can usually see in those Fabian romance novels where, you know, washboard abs, pectorals for days, and this sort of Prince Charming, who is way out of their league, will come along and captivate them. In fact, in his essay, The Romance Novel, Literature of Liberation, David Pollard contends that romance literature possesses a subversive quality. Now, according to Pollard, these novels inspire women to reject inequality and to aspire for greater things, while also demonstrating ways to realize those aspirations, primarily through the act of taming men and appropriating their power. Pollard commends romance writers as, quote, a breath of innovation in a creatively moribund industry. Since the 1980s, romance fiction, also known as Tagalog romance, has been among the top-selling books in the Philippines, particularly among female readers, including students, housekeepers, and office clerks. These novels, they often rely on you know, familiar plots and characters such as a boy meeting a girl from a different social class. Sometimes even, you know, a, a rather tame, pure, innocent woman. And, well, typically when it comes to those class differences, it's the male who is usually from the upper class and it's the woman who is from the lower class. And also some of the stereotypes that these Tagalog romances tend to have is that the couple usually takes a while to realize their feelings for each other. You know, they're sort of in denial. Sometimes they even bicker. But the strong, palpable sexual tension is there. No? And from certain observations by other scholars when it comes to these romance novels, 
is that they usually face external challenges, you know, whether it's, you know, disapproving relatives or even foes who attempt to interfere with their relationship. So that sort of becomes the main conflict if we are going to look at this from a literary analysis lens of sorts, you know. And the Tagalog romance genre, it also features common elements such as coincidences, mistaken identities, extraneous minor characters, plot twists, love triangles. And of course, it has to be a dissatisfying happy ending because romance novels are escapism. They're meant to take you away from the mundanity of the double burden of being a woman. For a moment in this piece of literature, you can escape and sort of be the main character of a story and be caught, <laughs> no pun intended, in a bad romance of sorts. Well, maybe in a, a good romance because it's all escapism it's all too good to be true you know now readers motivations for enjoying romance fiction they vary you know and they've also been studied worldwide in fact one notable investigation is janice radway's reading the romance which is actually highly regarded and frequently cited in her research Radway interviewed and surveyed 42 female romance readers who shared their thoughts on the perfect romance and the reasons for enjoying the genre. These readers stated that an ideal romance involves a smart and independent woman who falls in love with an intelligent, kind, and humorous man sort of uh, the ideal, you know, man. Radway in the study also observed that the discourse surrounding romance literature reinforces the notion that the fulfillment comes from being loved by a man and having one's feelings reciprocated. Moreover, romance literature serves as an escape for readers by you know, providing a temporary but literal denial of the expectations placed on women as nurturing mothers and wives. Now, let's try to look at things you know, back to the lens of Filipino studies. And actually, Georgina R. Encanto conducted a study on the reading habits of OFW or Overseas Filipino Workers, specifically OFW women, who enjoy Tagalog romance literature. Her study, which is entitled Savoring Romance, Pinoy Style in Foreign Climes, Why Women Migrants Love Reading Tagalog Romance Novels, it sort of resembled Radway's, but for her, she surveyed 60 participants, 15 of whom still read Tagalog romance novels. Their respondents actually cited various reasons for their interest in romance fiction, including entertainment value, the ability to derive values from the stories, gaining insight into themselves and others, 
the excitement of reading, no tips on relationships, relatable plot lines, a general love of reading, and the belief that reading Tagalog romance novels sharpens the mind and enhances readers' understanding of the emotions involved in romantic relationships. Now, looking at these reasons, in a way we can sort of see a, a deeper sort of motive when it comes to reading romance novels that you know it's not just mere escapism in a way um it the way i kind of see it is like a rorschach inkblot where you sort of interpret things the way you see them so it can it's it can be a good thing it can be a bad thing that people read these romance novels it's easy to assume that people who read these novels are superficial because they derive entertainment value, you know, those things. But based on Encanto's studies, there are people who believe that reading these novels actually sharpen their mind and that they are able to enhance their understanding of the emotions involved in romantic relationships. Now, of course, it could be quite possible that when it comes to these novels or or the, I mean these studies sorry that the answers from readers are pretty much self-reporting so that can be one thing but reading the content itself is another and reading the content itself was what I did 10 years ago anyway go before I get to that let's continue with Encanto's um, study. So according to Encanto, not the movie, sorry, reading romance novels offers women the chance to envision themselves as the leading lady in a vivid, dramatic tale that concludes with a happy ending. Ooh. <laughs> so much escapism there. Anyway, these stories, they provide a sense of optimism. You know, it's inspiring readers to believe that they, too, may one day encounter a comparable romantic journey. And the resolution of conflicts in a straightforward manner leads to a positive and uplifting conclusion. Now let's get to the book itself, which is actually an e ebook or an electronic book L not a lot of information about the book itself as far as i know is readily available it could be the kind of ebook that predates wattpad because through through you know the proliferation of the internet and other platforms where writers can help share their stories there is an easier, um, you know, there's less barriers when it comes to publishing. So practically anybody with a platform can upload their stories. And I believe that this is one of those stories. Because the the ebook or the PDF copy of the ebook that we analyzed for class, it does not provide the author's name. But I'm, I'm focused more 
on the content itself. But in one of the screenshots that I got from the book's teaser of sorts, it, it kind of like writes here, don't read this if you haven't finished and fully understand, okay, I'm quoting directly already, incorrect grammar, whatever it takes, which I think is the prequel to this one. Nonetheless, I will finish this story since this is a collaborative series project of all T.O.P. authors. Don't know what T.O.P. is. Each chapters will be released every Tuesday and Thursday. So let's get started. Dot, dot, dot. Signed by Fu. <laughs> so this novel, it actually exemplifies, I believe, a contemporary Tagalog romance that adheres to the standard boy meets girl, etc., etc., that I was mentioning earlier. As I mentioned, the book had a teaser, and in it, it outlines the tale of a prominent detective named Mundo, whose career is tested when he becomes entangled in a case he cannot resist. That's me translating the teaser that was written in Tagalog. Anyway, as is customary in any romantic tale, Mundo unexpectedly falls in love with the book's female protagonist and I suppose the audience or reader stand in. You know, her name is Yanni. Yanni with an H. A girl from a lower to middle class background whom he hires as a part-time model. Despite his lingering grief over his ex-girlfriend's death, Mundo must confront his desire for vengeance towards her killer while dealing with his unwavering feelings for Yanni. So, I think this is an emotionally suppressed man. <laughs> you know, unable to you know, be in touch with his feelings, you know gotta be vengeful justice for ex-girlfriend <laughs> i'm laughing about it now now although the work was written in 2012 a period way past the third wave of feminism but also before the rise of me too and our reevaluation of you know pieces of media and what they say about love and what messages they tell women. I am uncertain whether the work supports Pollard's notion of romance literature as rebellious. This work maintains conventional views on what is perceived as desirable. You know, the power balance between men and women in relationships, and whether women should be assertive in pursuing men or not. As an example, the work implies that physical appearance is a key factor in defining attractiveness. And this is where I sort of apply my feminine, my intersectional feminist lens, because as you will see in a while, what I mean here is the ex-girlfriend of Mundo, you know, the object of affection of the novel's main character. The, the one who kind of sort of like got away. She is described as follows. I will read it in Filipino and then try. Well, there's a part there in English. Anyway, 
she is described as, quote, Maganda ang hubog ng pangatawan nito. Samantalang ang mga mata naman nito ay tulad ng isa ng isang bughaw na kalangitan. Okay. Manulusog din ang mga dibdib nito na siyang lalong nagpapaganda dito. Sa madaling salita, Zenny is a hot and fine lady. A perfect lady for a man like him dahil bugod sa maganda at mapera na may utak pa. <laughs> so, yes, it's a... Uh, the description perpetuates the notion that You know, perfection is this defined by physical beauty. And this physical beauty is also an able-bodied body. You know what I mean? That, you know, she, she doesn't have any, you know, visible, you know, physical disabilities. You know, that's, that's perfection. You know, being able-bodied is perfection. And that perfection is also defined by her her wealth, her intelligence, you know. She has it all. <laughs> And because of this sort of representation or this description of this sort of notion of beauty, it sort of sends, well not sort of, it sends the message that women have to meet these standards in order to be considered attractive by men. Because if Mundo found her so attractive and somebody worth loving and obsessing even after death, then maybe I, as the reader of the Tagalog romance, should try to live up to this. <laughs> also, the work implies, and when I was reading it, I sort of saw I saw this implication that women should wait for fate or destiny to bring them a man who will sweep them off their feet thus reinforcing the sexist idea that true love is limited to a romantic relationship additionally the novel implies that being single being a single woman specifically is a cause for concern and that you know having a man in one's life is necessary to avoid being left behind this is exemplified by the character kairi in the novel who not only is the oldest or the eldest in her group of friends but also the only one who is single So, again, a little signification to women that enjoy your youth, lock somebody down as early as you can, otherwise you're going to end up like Kyrie, old and single and probably gonna die alone. <laughs> It seems that this romance novel suggests that the only solution to a woman's life is to be in a romantic relationship. See, the common belief we are taught, specifically women and femme people, we are taught that we will find love either in our first family or in our committed romantic relationships. 
mainly those leading to marriage or lifelong partnerships. Feminist writer Bell Hooks says that as children, we are often taught that friendship should not be considered as important as family connections. However, for many of us, friendships are where we experience the initial taste of what she calls redeeming love and nurturing community. Bell Hooks says that when we learn to love in our friendships, we develop the ability to bring this love to other relationships with family or even romantic partners. See, the novel, it, it does allow its female lead to embrace her sexuality and you know feel confident enough to pursue a man she finds sexually attractive. Yeni even takes the initiative to ask Mundo out on a date, despite his initial discomfort with the idea of being pursued. Because patriarchy teaches us that it has to be the other way around, that you know he has to be the one to pursue. You know. But just when you think the novel is a source of empowerment or it represents, you know, feminist icon Yeni. A quick trigger warning. I will mention briefly sexual assault and rape. The 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 work falls short of being a source of empowerment for its women readers because Yeni has these thoughts of quote raping mundo. It, it trivializes the seriousness of sexual assault. Now, for context, in, in the book, her thoughts of raping Mundo is meant to be, I think, just a strong appetite for a strong sexual appetite for him. But using that word trivializes the seriousness of sexual assault, which is a crime that predominantly victimizes women but also harms men when they are victims because rape does not pick and choose the gender of victims it can happen to anyone it can be experienced by men straight or gay it can happen to women it happens a lot to women and what you can usually happen there is that if you trivialize it it can harm men when they are the victims because we find it hard to believe when we, when men come forward with their stories of rape and sexual assault you're a big man why can't you fight back why don't you fight back oh, is it really rape or are you just not enjoying it you know those things so it can happen to anyone so by that mere usage of the that word even once it it undermines whatever attempts of you know f- women empowerment you know post feminism messages that you may have the the works message of liberation you know pro-women it's it's fleeting 
because it later actually promotes the idea of hasty romantic pursuits, encouraging women to follow their instincts rather than apply logical thinking. See, kung iibigin ka muli, cannot really be considered subversive, despite attempting to encourage readers to be dissatisfied with inequality through its characters. It actually aligns with literature professor Mary Bly's assertion that romances validate the female desire. And they reflect more than what most of us hope for in daily life, such as love, justice for losses, or the big career break. Mundo provided Yeni with a suitable challenge of sorts. You know, however, the work fails to convey a, a message of empowerment, a message of self-independence for women. And it also fails to convey or suggest that there are actually other forms of love. See, it directs all women toward men instead of a path of independence in order to find a fulfillment. The work, I believe, cannot cause a radical shift in relationships. I once again bring up Bell Hooks who mentions in her book All About Love that many self-help books reinforce sexism by presenting differences between men and women as innate and mystical, rather than learned behaviors that support male domination. These books may even portray male emotional detachment as a positive masculine trait that women should accept rather than a learned behavior that leads to emotional isolation and alienation. These self-help books and the Tagalog romance, they're not too far from each other in terms of the messages that they sell to women. Literally, sell. It's not a typo on my part. I really mean sell. But as Hux says, to experience love... We must let go of any attachment we have to sexist beliefs, as these will always lead to gender conflict and diminish both men and women. Hooks says that choosing to love requires admitting our desire to experience and give love, even if we're uncertain of what that entails. In fact, in her book, Bell Hooks cites Deepak Chopra, who says in the book The Path to Love that love can fulfill our need for emotional connection and is a real force in our lives. However, many men, specifically straight men, are not taught to prioritize the importance of love or accept a woman as a guide on the path to love due to the influence of sexist thinking. Bell Hooks also talks about how girls are typically taught in their early years, either by their caregivers or the media, how to provide basic care that is part of the practice of love. We learn to be empathetic, nurturing, attentive leader, listeners, sorry, 
not so we can be loving or share knowledge of love with men, but rather to be maternal towards children. However, when we become adults, Hooks says that many women abandon this understanding of love and respect in order to conform to patriarchal expectations and unite with partners who have little knowledge or regard for love and caregiving. Despite demanding respect and upholding it in their relationship with their children, many women are willing to tolerate disrespectful behavior from men in order to maintain a partnership. The argument can even be made that what romance novels portray is not actually love. They portray limerence. Writer Julie Wynn defines limerence as, quote, a mental state of profound romantic infatuation, deep, deep obsession, and fantastical longing. It refers to the exciting feeling you get when you first meet someone, says Eliza Bokin. During this time, we often just want more of that person. More time, more affection, etc. It's an intense emotional arousal that leaves us craving for another person. Often, people refer to this feeling as love at first sight. We often mistake limerence for love because the two can actually start, well, they often start with the same way, something physical like a dopamine rush. Limerence is short-lived and conditional. Real love is fluid and unconditional. Indeed, the Tagalog romance can provide respite and escapism for its predominantly female readers. But beyond that, we can surmise that it actually does more harm than good when one decodes the messages they tell women about love as a human experience. The Tagalog romance neither reinvents nor breaks the wheel of products of popular culture targeted at women. Perhaps the Tagalog romance novel can evolve if Encanto's study, as mentioned earlier, shows that there is there are benefits for the readers when it comes to reading, reading these novels. Then perhaps the product or the genre itself can evolve. It can tell more diverse stories by including queer people whose own love stories need to be told. Maybe we need romance novels including lesbian couples, gay couples, a love story that centers on the experience of a transgender person who deserves love. Maybe it can have characters who are, you know, people with disabilities because they too deserve love. They too deserve to have themselves represented in stories. Maybe it can also evolve by changing the ending where the woman finds out that the best love story 
was the one that she had with herself all along. Or maybe it can evolve by centering on female friendships instead and portray that as a powerful love story in and of itself. The Tagalog romance can be empowering for those who read it. But it's also time for it to catch up with our modern sensibilities. If it does, there can be a generation of readers who redefine romance and love. <laughs>